This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. So, just briefly then, we're uh, picking back up uh, our series on uh, Disciple by Jesus, and we're about halfway. We're in Mark chapter 8. And I I said at the beginning of this series that if you take Mark's Gospel and and fold it in half, uh, the two bits at the beginning and end that touch each other are, Mark starts with, this is the Gospel of the Son of God, and the centurion sees Jesus die and says, truly, this man is the Son of God. And then in the middle at chapter 8, we have uh, Peter making his proclamation about the Son of God. But So we're at the kind of key point, really, of Mark's, what Mark's trying to communicate about walking with Jesus, about being a disciple of Jesus. We're at that key point in chapter 8. And, well, some people say the key point is chapter 9, which is next week, so don't worry about it. But anyway, I'm just going to pull back a little bit from, from Peter's moment to an interesting aside, really, that I've not really looked at, and I think we'll, we'll build it from there. So if you've got a Bible, it's Mark chapter 8, verse 22. Interesting story. I don't really think about this. You can, I'll read it, and then you can, we'll pray, and then you turn to your neighbor, and you can say what you think. When Jesus, when they, sorry, that's Jesus and disciples, arrived at Bethesda, some people brought a blind man to Jesus and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village, then spitting on the man's eyes, interesting tactic, he laid his hands on him and asked, can you see anything now? The man regained his sight. Yes, he said, I can see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. Jesus sent him away, saying, Don't go back into the village on your way home. Father, I just pray as we jump into Mark 8, that, that this healing incident uh, would become like the image, the picture for what you're going to do with us. And so I just pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes, that we would see you for who you truly are, and I pray seeing you for who you truly are, that we would live, walk, journey with you afresh in a different way. Amen. Okay, so turn to your neighbor if you have a neighbor. If you haven't got a neighbor, then you should have learned by now. I always do this, so you're going to be on your own. Turn to the person next to you and say, what's going on in this verse? What's going on? Answer the question, what is happening? Jesus, like, heals a guy half away and then does the rest. What's going on? What do you think is going on?
Any takers? It's a bit of a weird one. Yes, Tom, it is. Any takers? Who wants... What, what's going on? Yes, it, it does feel like that, Jotham, doesn't it? It feels like you know, Jesus is down on his power. You know, maybe the kryptonite's in his back pocket and he's lost his superpowers. You know, Jesus is down on his power. Yeah, nice theory if you're into Marvel comics. Not necessarily, um, not necessarily really what you think. Although I've read that. I've read this thing and thought, oh, is Jesus a little down on his powers that morning? But no, I'm not going to buy that. Jesus is not down on his powers. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. So we're not buying that one. Any other ideas? Sorry? Be persistent. It could be Jesus is saying, you know, sometimes I know that actually you might pray for somebody. I'd be quite delighted, actually, if, if they were completely blind and they could see even people like trees. I'd think that was a major success. But, you know, it could be saying, well, keep pressing on, you know, that you could be persistent. Anything else? Could be about the trees, but, you know, I didn't, go, I felt about going with that, Zaki, but I just didn't. So we could talk about that on the way home. Yeah, it, there is a, a sense, and I think Magda might have something that, that there's, in a sense, did the, did the person really believe? I don't know if that's what you're saying, but that's what's on my card, so I'm going to go with that. Uh, you know, that, that did, did the man really believe? And maybe he was a, it was a test of his faith that, yeah, he got a little bit of a journey, and, and then all the way there. I, I, I think, yeah, there might be hints of, of, of certainly the last one, but I, I, I don't, I'm not going to buy that really. I think there's something uh, more profound going on. I think Jesus is, is, uh, use, is this story is kind of uh, something that Mark decides to put in that Matthew and Luke don't put in. Luke just says, uh, Jesus healed some people at Bethesda. Matthew doesn't even mention it. goes right from the feeding of the 4,000 to Peter's confession. Why does Mark put it in? Now, this is my, I, my view, and obviously it's therefore the right one. Um, the <laughs> Mark's Gospel is a lot about seeing. If you read Mark's Gospel, if you fancy reading Mark's Gospel and think, oh, I've read Mark's Gospel a lot of times, read, read Mark's Gospel and look at stuff about blindness and seeing, and he saw, he's seen, and I think he's taking us, Mark's going to take us to that place that I mentioned earlier where the centurion say, it says, seeing how he died, seeing how he died, that, that he said, truly this man is the son of God. He, he could be taking us to that place, or actually he could be taking us to the, the empty tomb the, a couple of days later. It's not on the PowerPoint, but it says, as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white sitting on the, uh, the right side and they were afraid. Do not fear, he said. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was Christ crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where he laid, where they laid him. Go and tell his disciples to go ahead of him and there you'll see him. There's lots of stuff about seeing that you could say, well, it's, it's right through through Mark's gospel. But actually, I think there's something a little bit uh, more fundamental about seeing that if you drill it down uh, in the passage, Mark's trying to say. And so uh, I think that the, the question is about, well, you know, do, do the disciples see and understand? Because if you read at the end of, um, in Mark's gospel, chapter 8, about at, at the end of the feeding of the 5,000, they have a big discussion about bread and 
what, did we have enough bread? And he said, go get bread. And they're all having this big stress out about bread. Disciples, as you know, from, uh, from reading your Bible or from listening to me are all a bit obsessed about where they're going to get their next dinner from, which, you know, I think is probably where God first gets its emphasis on food. But, um, they are stressing about bread and Jesus goes, whoa, 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 time out. He says, do you not see? He says, why are you still talking about having no bread? Do you not see or understand? Are your hearts hard? Do your eyes fail to see? And then there's this story of the man who sees a bit and then sees fully. And then the next thing that happens is that we come to uh, Peter's confession about Jesus. So actually, I think that what's happening in this story about the the person with the the eyes that sees a bit and then sees a bit more, I think Mark is put is is includes it because it's part of his commentary on what he's saying about the disciples. Now, I think that he's saying that the disciples saw a little bit and then they, did, they saw uh, fully. I think spiritual sight is an interesting one. My Christmas present is this. They're so expensive that you have to get them for Christmas. My dog chewed, chewed my old pair. It does look like Gok one. Yeah. So these are my new pair. What do you think? They're kind of Ray-Ban fakes. <laughs> Timberland version, <laughs> but um, but the interesting thing is, I when I'm when I'm here, I can see most of you quite clearly. When I put these on, I can see those at the back really clearly, but the people at the front, I can't I can't see. So they're kind of helpful for driving that I don't smash into things. But you know, I only see partially, and I think one of the things about uh, most people is that what, what when we think about our lives, what do we see? We see that we see now, don't we? really quite clearly usually you know uh, but the future we're not so good at and you know we've got spiritual myopia we're not quite clear about the future now there are some people who are so good at spiritually seeing the future they don't really live in the now but that's not usually most of us and I think that that there's a sense where uh, Jesus is going to give the the disciples an eye test he's going to ask them do you really see and what happens is when Jesus heals the blind person uh, Mark says it this way, he says, he says he saw, he says, I can see people but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again and he repeats himself, he says, the eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored and he could see everything clearly. So what we've got is a situation where what Peter says, what Peter's about to say, he kind of sees, yeah, He's got some light, some revelation, but he hasn't got the full picture. And I think that's that's where we're going to go. You, you understand what, what, what I've said? Some of you are nodding. I'll assume that that's a yes. If you haven't, I'm not going back over it. Okay, so um, the next little bit, I don't know if it's up there actually, the next. Am I getting blind? Sorry. Yeah, Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say that you're one of the prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say they am? Peter replied, you're the Messiah. And again, uh, sorry, that's my notes there, my annotation. And the, but, the, but then, then he warned them, but Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about it. That's the same as what happened in the other story, didn't it, with the blind man? Don't tell anyone. Jesus, same thing. Don't tell anyone. They kind of links them together. So, 
So it's interesting that, that, that this question, who, the, who do you say that I am, is, is, is critical to see in. It's critical. What do you see? What's your answer to that question? Uh, and it's interesting. He, he, Jesus ans- asked them when. He asked them where. So it's Jesus' disciples left Galilee and went to villages near Caesarea Philippi, which is a Gentile place, and on the way, he asked them. Jesus doesn't ask that question to his disciples right at the end of the story. He doesn't ask the, who do you think I am, when everything's finished, when everything's resolved, when everything's made clear. He doesn't ask that question. He asks them on the journey. And it's interesting, when we look at Jesus and we look at our spiritual lives, we find that Jesus asks us to believe him or to make, have an opinion about him on the journey. Uh, we, you know, there's a point where everybody actually in the whole world, I believe, is going to see who Jesus really is. It says, um, it says in one of the letters that it says, every knee shall bow. He's going to come around to you. <laughs> every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is the Lord. Everybody's going to do that. Now, when's that going to happen? Does anyone know? When's that going to happen? When Jesus comes again, when, when the world ends, as it were, when our lives end, everybody's going to say, yeah, I can see who Jesus is. If Jesus were to ask the question, who do you say I am then, everybody, in fact, in, fact, in Romans it says everyone's going to have their mouth shut, no one's going to say anything. But if he were to ask us the question, who do you say that I am, everyone's going to say, you're, the, you're God. But actually, he asked the disciples, well, it's still not clear. He asked the disciples, well, well, the jury's still out, where they're still thinking, who is this guy? And I think that, that, that sometimes that's how faith works, that, that we're asked the questions about who do we think Jesus is when it's not all clear, when it's not all done and dusted, when everything's not there, when the facts are unseen, when the outcome's uncertain, Jesus asks us who we are. One of the things that you find, uh, uh, I guess, on the Alpha course is that I suppose, I don't know if it's true for you when you were making your spiritual journey, did you feel that you had all the answers, all the spiritual answers when you became a Christian? Most of us would say no. Didn't really know a lot. But you got to that point where you think, yeah, I know, who Je- I've got that confidence in who Jesus is. And in fact, on the Alpha course, it was interesting, uh, somebody said, you know, I'm not quite clear about everything, I'm not quite sure I got everything, I agree with everything, but yeah, I'm going to trust him. And Jesus asks us that on the way. And I think, you know, if you, in your life, you could say, well, actually, if I've got that thing in my life in the future, then I'll trust Jesus to who he is. You know, so, you know, mine, when this church is 8,000, then I'll believe who God really is. You know, but we're not going to get there. We're never going to get there. So, you know, am I going to say, well, I can never have faith in Jesus? No, Jesus asks us to believe on the way when things are uncertain, when things haven't happened, when things are unclear. What's going to happen in my life? What about, you know, what, what about my future, my relationships, my family, my money, my situations? Jesus asks us to believe him while we're still on the journey. He asks us the opinion still on the journey. And one of the things that's easy to give at that point is someone else's answer. I guess when I was growing up, um, I would, I'd give my parents answers. They were Christians. Uh, I give my parents answers. I, I, I knew what they said. What, I knew what was the right answer. I knew what the Sunday school answer was. But actually, it took me a while going through college here in Cheltenham and then further on to actually find, no, this is my answer. And Jesus is interesting. He asks them, doesn't he, who do you say that I am? Uh, but before he asks that, he says, who do others say that I am? It's often easier to give other people's opinion. Again, on Alpha, you tend to say, who do people think Jesus is? Rather than, who do you think Jesus is? It takes a while for you to get there. So, people, so the disciples offer people's opinions out there. They say one is John the Baptist, re, reincarnated or reborn. 
Uh, one is Elijah, who's one of the prophets, who's going to come and say the Messiah's coming. One of them's another prophet, might be Moses, who said, I'm going to send another one like me, another prophet like me. So they kind of offer other people's opinions, but, 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 but Jesus presses them because he wants their opinion. He wants to see how well they see. He wants to ask them how well they see. Just like he asked the, the blind man halfway through the story, what do you see? He said, well, I can see kind of people, but they're kind of walking around like trees. He wants to see how sharply they see. And Jesus, and Peter gives a, what seems like a 2020 answer, doesn't it? He gives this kind of amazing answer that you're, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one. Uh, in Matthew's gospel, it says the son of the living God. And, and you could think, well, that's it. Story answered. 2020 vision. Peter's, you know, doesn't need any spiritual glasses. He sees perfectly. You know, he's been with Jesus and he sees, you're the Christ, the chosen one, the, the son of the living God. I got it. See perfectly. But actually, I think that the story that went before and what happens next tells us that actually that's not the full picture. And you might think, how dare you say that? Because actually what Peter understands What Peter understands about the Messiah is not necessarily what Jesus understands by Messiah. Let's read on a little bit. It says, Then Jesus began. Then Jesus began to tell tell them that the Son of Man, that's himself, must suffer many terrible things and rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law, that he'd be killed. But three days later he'd rise again. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, he's testing their eyesight as it were, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. It's like the harshest form of, whoa, hang on Jesus, are you sure? Is that really what you're saying? Are you really saying that this is what's going to be the case? Peter took him aside and rebuked him for saying such things. And then Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples and then he does the same to Peter. What are you saying? Why are you saying this? Get away from me, Satan, or get away from me, accuser. And then he says this. What's it say at the bottom? You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's point of view. There's a sense where he says, you kind of see him, but you're not seeing fully. You've got, a, you've got some truth, but you haven't got the whole truth. Now, what kind of truth did Peter see? And I think it is relevant to us. Uh, we will get there. What kind of truth does Peter see? He sees that Jesus is the Messiah. Does anybody know what uh, Messiah means, chosen one? What, what, what would a Jew in Peter's day, does anybody know what they would have expected from Messiah? When they said Messiah, what would they have thought? It's a big soldier king guy, the kind of God's king who was going to do what? Thank you. Overthrow the Romans, th- cleanse Jerusalem, kick out God's enemies, and then do what? bring a new age of, of, of where God's rule, Israel's would rule over the whole earth. Now obviously, at that point, you know, you've got to remember that the Romans are in Jerusalem, that the, the, the Jews are pretty poor and enslaved, that they're thinking, Jesus is going to be the one that's going to come to do that. And you can't underestimate how ingrained that was in their expectations. You can't underestimate how much that was part of what they thought. So when they said, you're the Messiah, they're saying, you're the big mighty king who's going to come and solve all our problems. But actually, that, 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 Jesus said, I'm not going to meet your expectations like that. 
I'm not going to meet your expectations like that. Actually, I'm going to come and I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be crucified. And that's what I'm going to do. That's what it means for me to be Messiah. And, and there, it, it, Peter's completely incensed. He's completely incensed that, that, that Jesus would do that. The question is, how do you respond when Jesus doesn't meet your expectations? Maybe you've got your expectations of what Jesus will do for you. Of what Jesus, the Saviour, Jesus the Messiah, what he'll do for you. Maybe he'll... I'm not going to... This church is so small that if I start specifics, you'll think I'm having a go. Um, but, you know, what, what sort of thing you think, if, if Jesus did that for me, that's what I want Jesus to do for me. That's, that's really what I'd like Jesus to use his power to do for me. And we can have all sorts of different things that we think... Um, I, I'd like Jesus to, to do for me. And when Jesus doesn't do those things, what do we do? What does Peter do? When Jesus said, I'm not going to do those things. What does Peter do? You can answer. He takes him on one side and goes, Whoa, Jesus! This isn't what I expected. This is not what I signed up for. And as I'm reading and preparing this passage, I'm thinking, man, Howard, I can so be like that with him. I can so be like, yeah, Jesus, I believe in you if you do this for me. Victory and success. That's what Peter expected the, that Jesus to do. Jesus the Messiah was to bring victory and success. But what he says is, <clears throat> I'm not going to bring victory and success. At least not at first. I'm going to bring what? Suffering and rejection and challenge and pain and death. So why well, didn't sign for that? You move to Cheltenham, you plant a church, what do you want? Victory and success. What do you get? Challenges and difficulties and emotional ups and downs and you feel the pain of that and you think, I didn't sign up for that and you take God on one side and say, hey, I didn't sign up for this. I wanted this victory and success. You're the Messiah, the King of everything. Come on, do this. And you can do that with your thing. Just because I say that's my thing, you've got your thing. And you take Jesus on one side and say, oh, well, if I had this, if I had a partner, then yes. If this job was, would pay better, if they didn't treat me so badly, or if I had some friends, some people in the church my own age, or something, and you take Jesus on one side and say, I thought you were this. I thought this is what was going to happen, but actually, you've, you've said this, and we say, I didn't sign up for that. Is that just me? Or do you do that? We do do that. Thank you, Tara. I know you do do that. We do do that. And interestingly, I worked it through, I thought about this, and I thought, now, actually, I'm no longer shocked that Jesus would say, because I live this side of the story, not like Peter, who doesn't understand, Peter's absolutely scandalised that the Son of God would go and die on the cross. We should be, shouldn't we? We should think, that is just, no, God, don't do that. The price is too high. You know, humanity is not worth that. Look at what we like. But this side of the cross, we say, well, of course, of course, it's a perfectly reasonable thing for you, Jesus, to come and die for me. Uh, Absolutely. No question. If I was the only person in the world, you definitely should die for me. Because, you know, you should die for me. And what do we say? And don't don't miss me now. You've got to be wise here. Jesus, finish the sentence. Jesus died in my place. Jesus suffered rejection so I don't need to be rejected. Now subtly, that is true isn't it? He did die in our place. 
But what we think is, Jesus, it's fine for you to die and for you to suffer and to you to be rejected, but you know what? You've done that so I can sit back on my sofa and enjoy my life. So I don't have to be rejected. So I can live in victory and triumph. Now, be careful. Because actually through the cross and through the suffering and rejection, there is victory and triumph. But actually, we want to shortcut that. There's a picture I see of a guy sitting on the sofa. No, there we are. Jesus says that's not the deal. It's not we're going to go fast forward to you on your sofa. I'm going to die and suffer and pain and be rejected and stripped and naked and, and, and people spit at me so you can sit on your sofa and say, isn't life as a Christian full of victory and triumph? We do that, don't we? We think, well, it's fine for him because that was his, what he had to do. But you think, for me? No. So Peter's not only incensed that Jesus would go to the cross, he's about to get even more frustrated because I'm quite happy with Jesus to go to the cross for my sins. But don't ask me to go there. Don't ask me to walk that way. Don't ask me to walk a challenging way. No, 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 I signed up for this. And it's because I've only half seen. My glasses only give me one perspective. I need to understand that actually Jesus calls us all discipleship to go here. And I don't want to beat you up, guys, this morning. It's just where we are in the passage. That's one of the helpful things about going through a book. You just get to where you get to. It's not really a great start for New Year, which should be all, whoopee, let's sit on our sofas and let God win. But actually, that's not what I've got this morning, I'm afraid. And it's interesting that, that we can think that, go back to the slide, the one that was before. I, I don't know why I put it up there because it's not my notes, but hey. We think that the way of the cross is, is oh, let me read it. The way of the cross is not simply God's means of rescuing us. It is God's means of rescuing us, but it's not just God's means of rescuing us, as if self-giving is an unwelcome necessity totally out of God's character. Well, Jesus is do the self-giving, the sacrifice, and then really then he goes back to being a lazy, sofa-sitting kind of God. No. The cross is the ultimate expression of who God is. So when Jesus says, come, follow me, where's he going to take us? You can answer or tell your neighbor, where's he going to take us? You know where I'm going. Where's he going to take us? Turn to your neighbor and answer the question. When Jesus says, come, follow me, where's he going to take us? Can anyone play? You know what I'm going to say, don't you? Where's he going to take us? He's going to take us to the sofa. Oh, please, Lord. Can people get saved while I watch the football? <laughs> you know? Can, I, can you prosper me with my money even though I never give any away? You know, we want it like that, don't we? And, 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 and he says, and so he takes Peter on one side and says, look, you're telling me off. I've got some serious things to say to you. Stop it. You're not seeing from God's perspective. You see him from your own. So then he says he called the crowds. So he gets the crowd in. He says, all right, Peter. Gets Peter back with the disciples. A little discussion. He says, hey, this is for everyone. Gets the whole crowd. I don't know. There's a big crowd. Let's say there's a couple of hundred, a couple of thousand. I don't know. There's 4,000 got fed. So maybe it's a massive crowd. He calls the whole crowd in. And then he says, then calling the crowd to join the disciples, he said, you know this. 
if anyone wants to be my follower, oh, I hate this, Jesus. You must deny yourself. Oh, please. Take up your cross and follow me. If you want to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. If you want to give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, you save it. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Jesus doesn't say that a a follower of Jesus is a passive recipient of the benefits of his, only the benefits of his suffering death. Yes, Jesus' cross accomplishes everything we need for eternal life and to be God's sons and daughters. But a disciple of Jesus, not one merely who sinks into his armchair because he believes that Jesus' victory is a guarantee of victory in life and success, of comfort and ease, a life free from sacrifice, suffering or trial. Now, I would say that if you, you can surf through God TV, and I'm not against God TV, but you can surf through God TV, and lots of God TV will tell you if you follow Jesus, everything's going to be perfect. You're going to have lots of cash if you give your bit of cash. You're going to live as a victorious prince of God. Now, there's some truth in that because God does bless you and God does bring victory and success, but he doesn't necessarily always bring it the way we want him to bring it. There's not many people on God TV because you don't get many people to watch it who say, actually, what I'm asking you is to come and give it all. I'm asking you to come and die. And I'm not promising any victory or success until after the grave, perhaps. It says in Hebrews, doesn't it, about all these people. So the end of Hebrews, it says, uh, some people were sh- beheaded, some were sawn in two, some were devoured by wild animals. And then it says, does anyone know it finishes? All of these were living by faith, yet none of them, does anyone know what it says? Receive what, they pro- what was promised. Well, I thought you'd promise God. Not none of them received what was promised. They're commended for their faith because they live through the tough moments. And I think for us as a church right now, we're in that space where we need to see clearly what God is asking for us. And, 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 and I would like to be able to say, look, I just hang on for the ride, just come once on a Sunday, once a month, and we'll just have a great church, and it'll be fun and funky, and God will do great stuff. I'd love to be, I promise you that, but I don't think the Scripture allows us to do that. The, 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 the Scriptures... Uh, are much too hard and think so here's James Edwards never heard of him before but I've got his book it's a commentary on this passage Mark's gospel commentary he says this a wrong view of Jesus as Messiah leads to a wrong view of discipleship when confronted by Jesus's call to discipleship disciples do not have a both and choice both Christ and their own lives they stand before an either-or choice. Jesus does not allow a convenient compartmentalization of natural life and spiritual life, of our lives and Christian lives. The whole person stands under Christ's claim. So that's what he's saying. This passage is saying, you can't say, yes, Jesus, you're Messiah, and then just have your own life. Comfy, easy, Cheltenham life. Difficult, frustrating Cheltenham life. I know there's all sorts of different Cheltenham lives out there. God calls us to say, will we still trust him on the journey when it looks like rejection and suffering and death? And some of you have had tough years or 
you know, difficult stuff happening in your family. And what is great is on the journey, you still say, God, you're king. You know, when, when people are diagnosed with cancer, you know, as, as I've said to you, my mother-in-law, re-diagnosed with cancer, what is brilliant is on the journey, she still says, Jesus, you're king. She doesn't say, I didn't sign for this. I didn't sign for suffering and death. I signed for victory and success. She still says on the journey, Jesus, you're the Lord. And she sees clearly. And I sometimes think we don't see as clear as we should. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.